Good morning. Court Radio is now in session. Call 215-227-2727. When you've got legal questions, we've got the answers. This is Court Radio. And now here's your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning. No, I am not Dean Weitzman, nor do I play one on TV or the radio. Manuel, Manuel Glenn, that classic joint that you hear on in the evenings and afternoons. I'm sitting in for Dean. He's running a little late, but he will be here shortly. He may run in any moment now, but in the meantime, in between time, we're ready. Our guest is here. Our producer is here. Our board op producer extraordinaire everything, man. <laughs> and, and I guess what, paralegal? You're here. Jury foreman. That's what I would call it. The you jury know, foreman. I, I think we need to have a vote, by the way, and re and, and let's re, let's let's rename ourselves. I mean, we rethink that name. I think we're the firm. I remember that movie. I think we're Dean. Dean is Dean. We're the firm. I, I remember that rap group. <laughs> <laughs> Brown. Are you Foxy Brown? Hey. Foxy Brown. <laughs> so how about it? I mean, we will take a vote right now in, in Extensia until he gets here. I think the firm works. Hmm. Okay. I see. I see I you rolling be, around. No, I get to be Fox Boogie, so I'm good. All mm. right, so I'm with that, uh, folks. Our guest today is indeed on time and in studio, uh, and he's also my state representative, folks. State representative Jordan Harris is in the beating, not the building. Sorry. Good morning. The appropriations chairman. The chair. Are yes. you getting that now? The chair. Yeah. <laughs> the chair has walked the in. It's, it's pretty cool, you know. Is it? I, you know it's, it's, it's good. I've known this young man for a minute. Uh, he is bright, brilliant, and in the majority. Give him applause for that. Yes. Now, now, that, now that, that is the fun part of all of this, being in the majority and being able to set an agenda and run bills and, and get stuff done, so that that's pretty cool. The special election that just happened uh, allowed, w what, one vote ahead now? Yeah. You're one seat now. Yeah. That one seat yeah, matters, yeah. though. Got a little leverage. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Heather Boyd uh, won a special election out in um, Delaware County. Delaware County. Yeah. And uh, she'll actually be sworn in on Monday. God bless nice. you. Hey, can she, can she get a little can applause? Love? Yes, ah, the firm gives you some love, Heather. Looking forward to uh, leadership ban on appropriations, yes. Mr. Chair. Yes. Uh, there's an agenda, I'm sure, in your mind Yes. right now, but I'm sure that others are in your ear. What is a pressing issue that the state rep is hearing these days now that you're in the majority, you're the chair, you wear that mantle? What are folks saying to you? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot, so, I mean, there's a lot of things uh, that people have been talking about. Um, you know, we've been in the majority. Uh, we won the majority in November. But then uh, two of our members, one of our members passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, one member became lieutenant governor and one member <laughs> went to Congress. So we lost those three seats. Uh, so we had to have special elections for that. Uh, so we regained the majority when we won those special elections. Uh, and um, then the governor did his budget address. And uh, then we did the appropriations hearings. I say all that to say that we've had the majority and have been running the calendar for about three weeks now. Wow. Three session weeks. And we've been able to, you know, really move a piece of legislation that have been locked up in Harrisburg for, for literally decades. Um, we ran the Fairness Act to protect our LGBTQ mm. uh, 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 By family By the way, Pride Month, and it's a big yeah. Pride weekend here in Philadelphia right yeah. now. So, so we ran that. We ran public sector OSHA uh, to provide uh, work standards for our folks who go out and work in the public sector who are in unions. We did 
uh, gun bills, uh, some uh, gun control bills, universal background checks. Uh, we In did three weeks. Real, yeah, red flag laws. Uh, I mean, you know, significant pieces of legislation that honestly for, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it, for 20 years uh, have been locked up uh, and wouldn't be run because uh, my friends on the other side of the aisle wouldn't run them. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, uh, all of those, just those three, I mean, there's been more, but just those three off the top of my head that have run have had Republican support, mm-hmm. which means that had Republicans run those bills, they would have passed. So, you know, that's why being in the majority matters because you can run uh, pieces of legislation that others would not. For example, think about this, the, the gun bills, right? Uh, the universal uh, background check. Uh, folks wonder why, you know, that's a, that's a big concern, you know, well, you get a background check when you go get a gun. You do mm-hmm. um, when you go buy a gun from a legal gun dealer. But there in Pennsylvania, if you buy a gun from a person, if it's a person-to-person exchange, there's no background check. So so whereas, you know, you can go to a gun show and go inside the gun show and, and, and purchase a firearm and have to get a background check, if you go right outside into that parking lot and buy a firearm, uh, from somebody in that parking lot. That's they, secondary tertiary. Yes. Is that still legal? Yeah, That's it's the legal. Question. You can legally sell that firearm, uh, sell that long gun, I should say. A but private per- per- yes, purchase. Yes, like yep, oh. without the background check. So, so you know, there's there's different, it's called the gun show loophole because you're at the gun show. There's that loophole, and and, and we've seen that that has happened. Um, one bill that we did not get done, um, we were one vote short, but we're going to keep, keep at it, is about lost and stolen. Um, and, and that's another big thing when we talk to our police officers about what, you know, where these guns are coming from. People are going out and they're buying all of these guns and they're selling them on the street. And then when the gun comes up in a murder, they just say, oh, I lost it. And there's no requirement for you to report that. If I walk outside right now and my car is not there, I'm not just going to say, OK, let me get an Uber and just go home and I'm cool. Nah, first thing I'm going to do is pick up the phone and say, yo, somebody stole my whip. Like, that that's that's just naturally you'll what you're going to do. You'll go nuts if you lose your phone. You'll go to another app. You'll go find my iPhone or something. All of that stuff. Find it. All Can't that do stuff. that with a gun. Nah, so, you know, and look, and, and look, you know, some people will say, oh, tougher gun laws not going. Well, no, 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 no. The fact that we've had in Philadelphia uh, incidences where we're recovering firearms and we're tracing those firearms back to being you know, uh, straw purchased and different things of that nature. We know that firearms that, that that have no business being in certain folks' hands are ending up there because of the lack of of, of law that we have uh, on the books. So, Common sense. Yeah, so we, we're just excited to be in the majority and, and, and to really push an agenda uh, that we believe protects people. Especially when public safety is the issue that it is in, in your hometown of Philadelphia. As oh, much, absolutely. Much as the rest of the state. Uh, Sarah? My wish to you guys, because you've named a ton of things mm-hmm. for three weeks. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think what I just did the last three weeks. Does not come <laughs> close. I wish you guys would do non-traditional ways of letting the public know. I think you guys do the traditional send out a press release. You tell the newspapers. You tell the TV news. Mm-hmm. People people not watching that. Yeah. Like, people are on YouTube. People are on social media. And the misinformation on social media is so loud that no one's hearing the correct information that is being uh-huh. on six ABCs and the other news stations. I, I wish you yeah. guys would do more from so, a digital perspective to let people 
No. So, so, so what I will say is um, Harrisburg is changing uh, in a sense because you have a lot of uh, younger elected. And that's not to say that some of my seasoned folks don't use those, those modes and means of communication. They do. But just the tenor and the tone of how to do things in Harrisburg has really been changing. And uh, you have a lot of us using uh, social media and different platforms. Uh, and you're right, you know, we have to combat a lot. You know, anybody can start a podcast. You know what I mean? You get a couple microphones, get you a nice little backdrop, you got a podcast. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing, podcasts are cool. I love podcasts, right? But there's no qualifications, there's no test to see if the folks know what the heck they're talking about. And, you know, people just get on there. And if you got 100,000 followers and views and all of that, you share misinformation. And, you know, when you look at where we are as a society, you know, I've had to, you know, not necessarily argue with people, but try to explain, like, that's not that's not true. Well, I heard not, and I'm just like, yeah, but that's not necessarily true. So we have to do a better job uh, as elected officials to combat that by giving uh, folks the, the true and the real information and making sure we're disseminating it in the way that people are receiving it. We're talking with State Representative Jordan Harris, and Dean Weitzman just walked into the room. Good morning, Dean. Good morning. Welcome to the show, folks. Hello, Thanks for opening for me, guys. No problem. Uh, you did a great job. The firm is assembled. We stamping that? Yeah. Can we stamp that, the we firm? We stamp it. Dean Weissman, the firm. Yes. <laughs> it's like a singing group. Like. Yeah. No, it's a rap group. It's a rap group. It's a rap group. Okay. okay. I, um, I, I listened in very carefully. There was a truck that turned over on the Schuylkill. Okay. And, uh, what was yeah. in this one? Uh, I know? I don't know because it was uprighted and moved before I got to that area, but um, it was done. it was yeah. yeah it was a mess. It was out a there. big apple tr- apple truck with apple juice yesterday all and right. all that heat. Wow. Yeah. Mm. heat is mm. it was hot yesterday. <laughs> yeah, man. Ninety, I think it hit at least near near me. Uh, good morning, Mr. Harris. What's up, Dean? How you, brother? I am. I haven't seen you in a minute. I know. I, it's really good to see you. It's good to see you too, my friend. All right. So, um, I, you know, I, what I want to know is, uh, can we get some more funding in Philadelphia for the obvious mental health crisis mm. that mm. exists out mm-hmm. there? Is that money that you can find somewhere that uh, you can give to the city for and homelessness? And I mean, we can go on and on. Quality and on. of life, right? You yeah. know, the the social f- network, yeah. the social fabric, fabric. of Philadelphia mm-hmm. is tearing, and it affects all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we start to address those problems? Where does that? Where do those funds come from? And when can we start seeing them? Yeah, so we have about a hundred million dollars that we allocated uh, for mental health services uh, during the, the the pandemic, and we put that money aside to have a commission uh, come together of experts to really uh, do a deep dive into what the system needed. And we locked that, basically kind of locked that money into account until we could uh, all agree on how to spend that. And we're actually moving legislation um, uh, very soon on on how we'll allocate that $100 million throughout the Commonwealth. Uh, So that's one pot of money. And then in this budget, um, we see uh, resources available uh, for mental health and mental health services. I think, you know, outside of just the, the money, um, there needs to be more access points and more connectivity. Um, you know, lots of people in our community are struggling um, and, and need mental health services. And I think if you asked most people, 
they wouldn't be able to articulate how to go about getting those services. You know, I myself, uh, you know, uh, in my own personal family have had to reach out to uh, uh, mental health uh, providers when when needed for a relative uh, who was having a, 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 a mental episode and actually had two of them and we had to uh, reach out. Now, I am a resourced person, uh, so I was able to pick up the phone and call some people and get them the services that they needed. It was at that moment that I realized how actually difficult it is mm-hmm. for the average person to have access uh, and, and get information. So, you know, I tell you, then right after that, I started making calls like this is, you know, I ain't going to say what I said. You know, I don't want to get no fines. But I was, he, he I, does. I, I, was <laughs> I was totally pissed that, you know, folks just don't have these things readily available. So, so in addition to the resources that I think are needed, I think um, – uh, education on access points has to happen. I think that the, la- the, the the other part to that is a communal thing. Like we have to, you know, be we have to be okay with getting help, and we have to be okay with letting folks know that it's okay to get help. So you know, I- I'll tell you right here. I'm State Representative Jordan Harris. I am the majority chairman of the Appropriations Committee. My committee is doing the state's budget, um, which is you know north of 45 billion dollars and every two weeks i go and see a therapist there you go every two weeks i have a therapy appointment you better i talk yeah. to your job you better where i talk to my <laughs> mental health professional and you know i am not ashamed to say um that as an elected official and a leader and all of that stuff i have a mental health professional all right so i want anybody who's listening to this to know that if you need to talk to somebody it's okay. Amen. And I think we need more people who are in positions of influence and power and more positions where people look to you to make those declarations um, that they have done it. My colleague, Mike Sloshberg, um, who represents parts of Allentown, has been very courageous to stand on the floor of the House and talk about how in 2002, as a college student, he had a bottle of water in a hand and a handful of pills in the other and was deciding whether he was going to take those pills, right? That's a part of, look, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I'll be in church on Sunday. I grew up in an era where you had a problem, you took it to Jesus. I'm cool with taking it to Jesus, but I'm also talking to my therapist. And those are the kind of conversations that we need to have in our community. Both, all of, you know what? All of my kids have seen a psychologist in order to get the feelings that they have out in a healthy way. Mm. I think it's just like, you know, you go to the pediatrician uh, for your shots, you go to a mental health expert to work on your feelings because so many people don't know what to do with those feelings and they come out sideways. Yeah, and you know, not to be biased, but you know, my son just graduated from medical school. Yes, he did. And his discipline. Yes. (laughs) His discipline is psychiatry. Now, he wanted to get matched. And he black. Yes. Yeah, man. He wanted to get matched to, you know, to somewhere in Philadelphia area. If the funding is not there, he's not getting matched in Philadelphia. He really wanted to come home. And that's something he he specifically wanted to, you know, to be in this community. Right. To be able to be a help. Is that going to happen? 
Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the money. When's match? <laughs> When's match day? Um, match is usually in um, March. Okay. So yeah. that match already passed. Mm-hmm. He's going to take a step three, and then he's going to do match again next next year. Okay. Maybe wow. there's money. Maybe yeah, so, he can get so, into yeah, the program. The money you're talking about is to go to the the universities and mm-hmm. hospitals that have training because they have a certain amount of slots that they can provide to, to students to do, like, residencies and different rotations and, research, and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, kudos to him. I mean, not only do we need more psychologists and psychiatrists, but we need more diverse psychologists uh-huh. and psychiatrists because, sure you know, people— It's a lot easier to talk to somebody who looks like yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. And here's the thing. That's that's not just a, that's not just a black-white thing. That's a, that's an everybody thing. Uh, black people like to talk to black people. Hispanic people like to talk to Hispanic people. Jewish people like—, like when there's a commonality, it's easier for people to have, you know, personal and intimate conversations. Right, when so. we travel, we all look for each other, yeah. others like ourselves. And, it's not, and, you know, I guess I say that because people make it seem like sometimes like this bad thing. Like, I hang out with other people. Right. Of course I do. But I, when I go to certain things, I look for black people, too. Like, mm-hmm. it's just there ain't nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do as well, though. So I don't you know. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Yes, I look. <laughs> you do. You do. Yes, you do. You do. You do. Wait, you know, but wait. But I tell, I tell I people, you grew up face in, in a long time. I tell Where people, though, <laughs> you grew up in Northeast Philly, though. So yeah, you know, he likes me. You're a little different, brother. You know. Two one five two two seven twenty seven twenty seven. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call right now. Two one five two two seven twenty seven twenty seven. If you got a legal issue, you got a legal question, you've been sitting on for a week. Now's the time to give me a call, and I will do my very best to get it answered. I got a million questions, Jordan. Uh, First off, what's it like having a user-friendly governor? What's your relationship like with Josh Shapiro? And potentially, what would it be like with the potential next mayor, first black female mayor of Philadelphia, Sherelle Parker? What type of relationship, and will those relationships help? Yeah, so, um, you know, me and Josh were texting yesterday. Uh, The governor... um, not a, that he didn't have a good relationship with Wolf. Because, no, 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 you know, no. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 it's, that's cra- it's, yeah. it's crazy because you, you're right, I did. I didn't know Governor Wolf at the beginning. He and I developed a really, really good relationship. I, I, I would surmise if I called him right now, he'd answer the phone. Cool. Um, but, you know, Josh and I were texting yesterday. We had a conference call the day before. Uh, Sherelle had a, a, a victory party yesterday that I, I stopped by. Um, I, I missed her in passing because I had to leave a little bit early. But, you know, Sherelle and I served together in the house. Actually, uh, we sat two seats from each other. She sat on the end, and I sat in the middle in the middle seat. So uh, it was, hold on, it was Sherelle, Steve Kinsey, then me. And then on the other side, it was Pam Delisio and Curtis, Curtis Thomas. So, like, I literally sat right next to Sherelle. Uh, the day after she won, her and I talked on the phone. We've talked maybe two or three times since. She's going to be coming to Harrisburg uh, in the next uh, week or so. Um, so, you know, for the city of Philadelphia, I think it's it's great to have uh, a, a person coming into the mayor's, you know, barring November. we got to get through November. But, mm-hmm. but you know, a person who knows Harrisburg is going to have relationships in, in Harrisburg who's not going to be afraid to come to, to Harrisburg and have conversations that are necessary. So, uh, and she served with Josh when, when Sherelle was in the— House, uh, Josh was a, m- a member of the House of Representatives. So, you know, she has her own relationship with Josh as well. So I think that will be very beneficial that's, to the city of Philadelphia. That's a double-edged sword yeah, because um, we expect some results, right? I mm. mean, you know what people think? People think politicians, 
it's the same old, same old, and nothing gets done, and nothing changes, and everything just keeps on going. And they, you know, they line their favorite, uh, you know, whatever, you know, they make sure that those those favorite things get funded, but everything else, it just kind of keeps on going on. And so, listen, you don't have a large majority. No. You, you're, you haven't been in power for a thousand years. No, but three weeks. The, but the pressure is on now mm -hmm. to produce. Don't talk, produce. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. I, I and I'm question. thinking what yeah. the average guy's thinking. He's right. And I, I ask that question because I say this all the time. It's not just who you know, it's how you know them. Yeah. It sounds like you guys have a great relationship. Yeah. I mean, look, yes. And, and it's not that we agree on everything, but, you know, I, I've I've tried to structure my career where, at the very least, I'm able to have a conversation, an honest and frank conversation with people. Mm -hmm. um, that's number one. Number two, I think your word is important. And when you say, okay, yes, I can do this. No, I can't do this. Yes, I can do this. No, I can't do it. And it, that, that needs to be what it is. You look, are we going to, um, you know, are we going to, you know, fix poverty tomorrow um, in, in, in its entirety? No. But what I can tell you is that we're doing a, good job in a short amount of time of moving forward on things that are important to people and have been important to people for years. So I'm excited about the possibilities for the future. I am too. And like literally just burying my head in the work so that we can get more stuff done. And, and you know what, um, politics aside, um, I think everybody wants to see success here, you know, I mean, don't we all, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you're uh, pro this or anti that, don't you want the city of Philadelphia to be the jewel place of the state of Pennsylvania? The Commonwealth's, you know, it, this is where democracy began. Amen. And, and World you know, Heritage City, the only one in America. We, we should be something that other cities look to um, as the place to emulate. Uh, let's talk to Bruce on line one from Chestnut Hill. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to Court Radio. How you doing? Yeah, I want to ask a question. Like, I'm a senior citizen, correct? I'm a diabetic. But why is there a cap on the money we need for us, like uh, medicine for us? That, uh, for instance, at first I was paying forty-seven dollars for um, uh, for Sega. And then after a certain period of time, it went to $147. Why should there be a cap on our medicine, knowing that we worked all our lives to get what we had today, and then medicine we need, we got to go back to work to help pay for that? Why is there a cap on our on our, on our uh, limit that we got to use? If we go over like $10, we go $11, now you got to go in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Why is that like that? So, uh, so sadly, a lot of that depends on what kind of insurance, uh, what, what kind of health care you have. Um, I do know that there are, um, and a lot of that, if I'm being honest, a lot of that is done at the, the federal level. Um, so I do know at the federal level they did some things recently with capping how much money a person could spend uh, every every year on, on, on medication. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have a direct answer for that because, you know, that's not necessarily something we do on the state level. Here was, here's what I will say. I'm very interested and increasing access to health care uh, and increasing access to medication uh, and limiting how much we have to pay. Look, I'm not going to act like that's going that the, the insurance company, the health care piece like that is huge, um, particularly when I've 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 learned and I'm learning and knowing that 
a big part of healthcare is about access and, and, and who has what. And it shouldn't be that way. Not in America where we have all of the resources that we have. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, that's the whole thing. The interplay between the city government, the state government, the federal government, and how to streamline that and make it more effective for the end user, for Bruce. The distribution of it all. You know, and so it's, we, we the, the, when I say that you have to work together, you have to work together not only as a, uh, let's say, Sherelle Parker, as a city politician, but you have to work with the state and the federal government to get the resources and to make the changes we need to see made so that Bruce doesn't have to get a third job at, you know, 70 years old in order to pay for his diabetes medication. No, I agree. All right, Bruce, thanks for giving us a call and voicing your opinion on this issue. Now, I'm going to ask one more question before you hang for me. Sure. Is there possible that you can get people together to, 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 to put this in law so we can try to make it better? You know, the, what Bruce is talking about is when we do have uh, these uh, groups that decide how things get spent and what we spend on, there should be stakeholders for from all areas and walks of life, including the end user, Bruce. We need to have people come together. Um, you know, you've got $100 million to, to decide how to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, in that process, besides just experts, we need people who are in mental health crisis and those who care for them to be a part of that, to talk about the difficulties that they're having. So so a lot of times we do. What I would say directly to you, uh, Bruce, is that um, if you live in Chestnut Hill, Depending on where, I think Chris Rabb is, is is up there. I would reach out to my state rep and my state senator, um, and and share my concern with them because they are your 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 first and front line of of defense with regards to making sure that your voice is heard. Um, so so and 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 here's what a lot of people don't understand. Like you know, I I can tell you as a state rep, you know, while while I represent sixty two thousand people in in, in Philadelphia. Uh, if enough people send emails and all that stuff, like I read them, like I got my work phone here right now. Mm-hmm. Emails come directly to my phone, so I see them. So I, I encourage people to legitimately reach out to their elected officials. And then if you don't get a response, or you know, well, you know, elections for my job are every two years, elections for council every four years. You know, you know, that's how you respond when they don't respond. That's just my opinion. Bruce, thanks for giving us a call. Have a great Saturday. Line two, Velda from Brookhaven. Velda's back. Velda. Oh, yes, Velda is back. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, morning, dear. Hi. I was at your forum on City Line Avenue a couple months back, and we were talking about the uh, mental health issue. Yes, we were. Um, One of the things that I have a problem with, and I'm a seasoned sister (laughs) age-wise, the programs get started. But none of the money seemed to filter down to those in need after all of the salaries are paid for the professionals. And so many programs have dissipated because of that simple situation. They'll say, well, we didn't have enough participants. And that's unfair. I don't know how it works. And I know professional people have to be paid. But how do those monies get funded and distributed equally where the people get the results. Yeah, that's that's the process, and, and Jordan talked about 
spending money to figure out what the problem is and how to best solve that problem and serve up what it is people need to them. And it's in this process that we need all stakeholders involved, not just experts, but those who are in need. Um, and that's th- this this piece right now that you're about to spend yeah. to figure that out. I think people like Velda need to be involved in it. Mm. So let me say this uh, to, to, to you, Ms. Velda. I am very much, um, and I can say this, you know, as the uh, appropriations chair and the new Chair, I am very much looking at how we're spending our resources and what organizations that we are partnering with. Um, you know, I found sadly um, in my time in the legislature that there is prosperity in the pain of poor people. Yep. And, and and let me explain to you what I mean by that. There are lots of people in our community that when there's no money, you know, people are are doing everything that they can to help our community for free. But the moment a grant is available, the moment new funding becomes available, all of the experts come in and and there seems to be prosperity for them, but it doesn't seem to trickle down to the, 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 the pain that actually needs to be helped. So I am very laser being focused on making sure that the resources that we spend are going to organizations that have a track record of doing the work and who are data-driven in their approach. Now, that's not to say that small groups shouldn't get funded. We should, but we should also provide them with the, the technical support that are necessary. What we've seen for far too long is that big conglomerates get a lot of the resources, but they don't have the boots on the ground to actually do the work in our community. Far too much prosperity in the pain of poor people. Velda, thanks for giving us a call. we got to take a break. We'll be right back, folks, in two minutes. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly Lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly Lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly Lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, 
We will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Legal answers. Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. No explosions. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning. Joined in the studio today with my friend Jordan Harris, State Appropriations Chair. Um, we have a caller. Jordan, line three, Jasmine from Philly, who wants to know what does an appropriations chair do and how does it affect our city? Good question. Morning, Jasmine. Good morning. Good morning, Representative Harris. I got in my car and I heard your voice on the radio. Is this somebody we know? I decided to dial in. Rep. Harris, what does the appropriations chair do? I know who this is. My babies want to know what uh, they what the do. So, so I, that's a very important question. So, uh, appropriations chairman is a leadership role in uh, each caucus. So, you know, there there's you know uh, Democrats and Republicans in the House, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate, and each of those caucuses get to vote for their caucus leadership. So, leader, you know, the whip, the policy chair, the secretary, the uh, administrator, all of those different. Uh, there's there's seven leadership roles in each caucus, and then there's one for the whole House, which, of course, is the speaker, and that's currently our speaker, Joanna McClinton, the first uh, woman to be elected to do that. Uh, but the appropriations chair is a, is a very important leadership position uh, in each caucus, and that person uh, is in charge of the committee uh, that literally deals with the state's budget. And when you're in the majority, you're actually leading um, you know, the efforts and how we spend the state's money. So, you know, Mike, I have a committee uh, of members and um, because I'm the majority chair, I have the gavel. We convene all of the meetings and uh, like, you know, we really do the state's budget. So, and, and we're not talking hundreds of thousands. We're not talking millions. We're talking about billions Two. of dollars. So, you know, how much money goes into the education system? How much money goes into DHS? How much money goes into the Department of Corrections? The appropriations chair, uh, and particularly the majority appropriations chair, is at the table, um, you know, leading those discussions and being a part of those discussions with the governor and with the other caucuses and other chamber and doing that. Um, you know, I'm only the second African-American to ever be uh, appropriations chairman uh, in the House, the other being Dwight Evans. So, I, you know, I'm literally on, in, in all of the years, all of the years of the House of Representatives, and even in the Senate, <laughs> I'm only the second African-American to ever be majority appropriations chairman. And, you know, it's an awesome opportunity, but it's a humbling responsibility to know that how we spend the, the state's dollars is really a part of what we do. Uh, and, you know, I'm just grateful for this 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 privilege. Uh, here's why it's important for the city, for the region, <laughs> because when you have folks who are from your area in those positions, they don't know the problems from a piece of paper. Mm. They know the problems because they live them. Point Breeze. Right. So when somebody talks about gun violence and why we need more money for that, I'm not just saying, oh, we do a little bit here, a little bit. No, 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 no. I know I, mm. I know exactly what's necessary. You got a lot of brand new friends. Yeah. Huh? Well, you know, um, <laughs> all across the state. Um, but, you know, that's why it's important. When Dwight Amen. was appropriations majority chair, he was able to drive, especially with Rendell as governor, 
they were able to drive tons of resources to the region to help develop. So we're going to do that for Philly in the southeast. But also, you know, I will say this. I travel the state, and we're going to make significant investments all across Pennsylvania where we know it'll benefit people. So that's what we do, and that's why I support it. You know, when the Republicans were in power, um, uh, there was a disproportionate amount of money for education spent on small districts in Republican areas of the state. Um, It became a political football of sorts, and um, the Philadelphia School District suffered mightily because of that. Um, Will that change now? Yeah, so, I mean, we have uh, we actually have a a new funding formula. We've had it for a couple years. The problem is that the, the compromise that was made a few years ago was that only new money go through this new and equitable formula. So, so we have something called hold harmless, which basically means that you can't, you can't take away from a district money that they had. The All right, but how do we change that now? How do we go back on that? I, I, don't, I don't think you have the votes to do hold right. harmless to get rid of it. Here's why. Because you actually would be asking even some Democratic members to vote to cut money from their school district. And you just, I, you just, I don't see the political will for people to do that. Because when a school district starts to lose population, right, they, they lose funds because it's per child. Mm. Um, so I don't think you, I don't see that happening. What we have to do is we have to accelerate how much new money we're putting in, put that through the new formula. We also now have a, a, a Commonwealth Court ruling that basically said that Pennsylvania has an inequitable funding system uh, and, and that we have to do right. It's not constitutional. So I think what you're going to see, not think, I know what you're going to see is, is that we're going to be kind of laser beam focused on balancing the resources that go into public education so that the schools that need it the most, and we've done that over the last two years through something called Level Up, but to, to make sure the schools that need it the most are getting it. Here's the other thing, and this is the other thing to the money conversation, is accountability for those dollars. Because we can't just keep putting billions and billions and billions of dollars in systems, right, and not expecting Results. Some outcomes and some measurable You have outcomes. to be able to have outcomes. So that means some districts are going to have to do things differently. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. We have to look at our, our systems and make sure we're tailoring them, tailoring those systems to make sure that diploma means something. There used to be a time when you got a diploma, it meant you can get a job. That time doesn't exist anymore. We have to make sure that we're not training our young people for jobs that were 20 years ago. We have to be training our young people that for jobs that are going to be there for the next 20 years. That's a difference that the system has to make as well. Hmm. 215-227-2727. If you've got a legal issue today, give us a call. If you want to jump in on the conversation, that's the number to use. 215-227-2727, the number for all things legal. You had something. You had we mentioned the Senate. We mentioned how the Senate is in the minority, but we have a senator there who sometimes is in this very studio, mm-hmm. uh, Vincent Hughes, who also is appropriations chair. Yeah, Vince is the Democratic appropriations right. chair in the Senate. It's a good relationship. Yeah, we were, on a, we were on a conference call yesterday together. All right, so mm-hmm. that's a relationship that's been around for a minute. You guys mm-hmm. haven't just met each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much of a difference does it make that he's not in the majority, he's in the minority? As a chair of the Senate, mm-hmm. if he were in the majority, how much? Oh, this would be that? much easier if he was in the majority. Could you be- explain to the Jasmines of the world? What? Yeah. 
So who whoever's in the majority controls the calendar. Basically, when you go into the Florida House, you go into the Florida Senate, what bills you're going to run, what bills you're not going to run, what issues you're going to deal with, what issues you're not going to deal with is controlled by who's in the majority. Mm-hmm. So we're does, able... Does the minority have any leverage? So, yeah, I mean... On issues where you're needed and they need and, and and there's votes needed in your chamber, yes, you can use, you know, you could use that. Like I've said this, and you know I said it many I stole times. It. I share it. I said this years ago. <laughs> Nothing happens in Harrisburg because it's a good idea. It happens because of leverage. So when you need when they need your votes, if you don't have a majority and they need your votes, that's how you use your leverage to extract what you want. When we were in the minority in the house, um, we had to do that because we knew that there were things that the Republicans wouldn't put votes up for. So they had to come to us and ask for things. Who? You want stuff? You want our votes? These are the things that we want in order to do that. So, you know, Senator Hughes, uh, who's appropriations chair in the Senate, uh, Senator Costa, who's the leader over there. Uh, you know, you got Senator Williams, Senator Street and, and, and folks who represent Philly and uh, uh, who've been there for a while. They know uh, how to extract things when their votes are necessary and how to hold out and make those things happen. But if you're asking me if it'd be much easier if we had a, a, a majority in the state Senate, absolutely. Uh, it, how many it, seats away are you? Uh, yeah. In the Senate? I don't know if I don't, my head either. Three or, I think they're about three or four seats. It's a heavier difference. lift. It makes it a, a big heavier difference. Lift, but it, yeah, it, it make a huge difference. And I guess the leverage is actually your relationship with Senator Hughes if the Republicans want to put out a bill in the Senate, mm. you know, you're basically the leverage because nothing, you know, just like any government, nothing goes through. In the House? It, or the Senate? In the House. Yeah, no, yeah, so yeah. you're right because, you know, they can send us bills and they, they want those those right. bills to get to the governor's desk. All right, well, we don't have to run them, but they say the same thing about our bills. So mm-hmm. there comes a time where it's like, we'll run this bill if mm-hmm. you run this bill. Right. We'll run this bill if you run this bill. So, like, that kind of stuff. And then you got the governor who's the backstop right. because now it's like even if you run the bills, is the governor going to sign it? Mm. And if he's not going to sign it, do you have the votes to override? And I and that I, that's just I don't think that's a question of a veto override at all um, right now um, on anything. Um, and, and quite honestly, we we ain't doing that to our governor. But you know, this divided government that you see in Harrisburg, it means that folks have to come more to the middle and come more to you know come to a table. To get consensus on how we we how we do these things, and I think you're going to see uh, that in the budget. And I, I believe, though, having folks from Philadelphia and from the region in those rooms and in the conversation really helps helps us. Two one five two two seven twenty seven twenty seven. We got Takeef, Center City on Line Five, Eric. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Court Radio, sir. Good morning, sir. What's happening? Um, so I have a lot going on. Um, one of the most recent and serious incidents, my daughter is currently at the Philadelphia Juvenile Justice Center. Mm-hmm. Um, she has severe mental health problems. Um, it's been going on since she's been about 12 years old. So it's all documented. And she's supposed to have been on a one-on-one, um, you know, when a staff has to be with her 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so over the last week, she has been attacked twice, which has caused her to decompensate, and she started causing like self-injurious behavior to herself. Um, she ended up swallowing some things and some other things, um, and ultimately she had her stomach cut open from their negligence in watching her. Um, it's come to my attention that this facility has been falsifying records 
understand that she's been being watched when she really hasn't. Um, some of the attacks and things and her being left alone are on video. And I just wanted to know how should I proceed? So I will say two things. Um, well, before, one and, and before, then, Jordan, before Jordan, I'll, I'll say this. Just, uh, you know, over the weekend or on Monday, you should call my office um, and let us uh, investigate the possibility of bringing a claim on your behalf and her behalf um, because the institutions that folks find themselves in have an obligation to provide a safe environment for those who are there. Um, and so there may be a civil rights violation that uh, one of the attorneys in my office would be interested in pursuing. And so at least look at that as well. Um, sometimes bringing in outside counsel is what's necessary in order to affect change. Um, now I'll pass it back to that, Jordan. That's what I was going to say. I was one of the things I was going to say. I mean, I, you know, sadly, I know that, you know, there's a huge staffing shortage um, at the center uh, and at facilities across the, 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 the Commonwealth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would call my uh, I don't know where you live, um, but wherever you live, I would I would go to 70 dot org, which is the website for the committee of 70. Uh, there's a tab there where you can type in your address and it'll tell you who represents you. It'll tell you your city council person, your state rep, your state senator. They'll tell you a member of Congress. I'll pick up the phone and I call all of them and let them know what's going on um, to see what they can do uh, to be helpful. Um, but then I do think I agree with Dean. Um, I probably get in trouble for saying this part, but you know there needs to be an outside side set of eyes mm. that are also looking in on these kind of things. Keith, good luck with that, and uh, we look forward to your call. All right, I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Keith. 215-227-2727. Do not forget that number. Put it in your cell phone, and whenever you need an attorney, use it. You won't be disappointed. Um, you know, you found your way in politics mm -hmm. through criminal justice reform. Yeah. Um, now you're, you know, you're the big mahaf. The chair. The yeah. what? The big mahaf. My grandma used to say that. Uh, what? It's an old, it's old, it's old G thing. Um, and so yeah. uh, have you lost your way on criminal justice or have you ceded that to someone else? Or is that still a part of your inventory of matters? Well, first of all, I'm I'm still just a little dude from South Philly. Uh, mm -hmm. And so not so little, but all right. <laughs> hater. Folks, Google me and you'll, you'll get the joke. It's OK. Um, but no. So 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 no, actually, um, this week um, we're going to be running on final passage, the expansion to clean slate. What's which, clean slate? Uh, so <laughs> so <laughs> clean slate is a bill that um, I authored with uh, my Republican colleague, Representative Cheryl Delosier, uh, that provides automatic record sealing for criminal records uh, for certain offenses after a certain period of time. So break it down. After 10, right now, the law is after 10 years, there are certain misdemeanor twos, misdemeanor threes that are of a nonviolent nature that will automatically be sealed on your record. Just automatically happen. Don't need to do it. Don't need to you file anything. You don't have anything. to do anything. You don't have to do anything as mm. long as you paid your restitution if you had it. Uh, and it's been 10 years and you've been free from from crime, those things, certain things on your record will automatically fall off. We did that in 2018. 
Um, and since then, more than 40 million criminal records in Pennsylvania have been sealed, and it's helped more than 1.1 million people. Wow. But when House we, Bill 1826? I don't remember what it was yeah, at that time. I don't remember what the numbers were. But when we did that, when we did Clean Slate here in Pennsylvania, everybody talked about the fact that it did not cover felonies. And I knew going into it that we weren't getting felonies at that time. We didn't have the votes. There wasn't the political will. But I always said that we would come back and we would get felonies done. This week, we're going to pass, um, we're going to run an expansion bill of Clean Slate. House Bill 689 is the number for this term. This includes nonviolent felonies and, more importantly, drug felonies, okay? And and should we, we're going to, we're going to move it out the House. Hopefully, we'll move it out in a huge bipartisan uh, number, and hopefully the Senate takes it up. Should this bill get to the governor's desk, it will provide um, record sealing, an automatic record sealing for felonies, nonviolent felonies, uh, and for some of our, you know, drug felonies, which is a huge problem. We estimate millions, tens of millions of more records will be sealed and helping even more people. Um, one of the, fir- the first time I came on your show years ago, we were talking about record sealing. And, you know, it's been a journey to get here. But, you know, we're we're moving the felony piece this week in Harrisburg, and I'm excited. Clean Slate has become so popular. We started it here in Pennsylvania, but it became so popular that more than 10, uh, there's 10 other states that have done it in their state. More than half of the states in the union have introduced the bill. And there's actually a nonprofit called the Clean Slate Initiative that's going across the country trying to get more and more states on on board with doing uh, automatic record sealing in their states. Because no one should be judged on their worst day. That's right. Yeah, and Somebody said that. Yeah. Especially, especially guys marijuana. Said, especially, That's right. especially marijuana. All right, we're going to take a quick break to give our sponsors a chance, but we're not done with uh, Mr. Harris, and we have more show to come. Stay tuned, and if you have a question, give us a call, 215-227-2727. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly Lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly Lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly Lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. 
I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Legal answers. Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning. I'm joined in the studio with my friend Jordan Harris, yes. who happens to have ascended to the chairmanship of the Appropriations Committee <laughs> for the majority of the House. <laughs> Um, Jordan. Yes. Let's take Russ on line two. Russ, welcome to Court Radio. Hey, how you doing? I'm well. We're short on time, so let me just read it to you. Uh, Jordan, Russ wants to know, why doesn't the state have more expungement and pardon hearings? So that's a very, very interesting question. Um, on the expungement thing, um, you actually don't need a hearing on expungements. Um, first of all, if you qualify for clean slate, it happens automatically. If you have to go to court un, under a clean slate because there is a, a process where for some things you still have to go to court, that's 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 up to the county and where you were criminally charged. Um, as far as the Board of Pardons, um, there is a backlog, and there it is. It takes two to three years uh, to get through the Board of Pardons. I literally talked to the Lieutenant Governor last week about um, looking to increase um, looking to increase his uh, budget for the Board of Pardons because the lieutenant governor is the chair of the Board of Pardons so that they can hire more people, so they can review more cases, so that they can get more done. Here's what I will say, though. We have come such a long way in pardons in Pennsylvania. Governor Wolf, when he was governor, he did more than 2,000 pardons, which was like more than all of his predecessors combined. Um, and um, we are trying to get the Board of Pardons more resources so that they can do their due diligence and because it's a process. You, you know, after you fill out the application and stuff, they have to do an uh, interview, they have to do an investigation, they have to do all of these different things. We want them to hire more staff so they can do those things faster uh, so that we get more folks in front of the board to possibly get pardons. So it, it is a financial thing that we're looking at. I know the lieutenant governor, Austin Davis, is very much on board with that. But I got to tell you, from where we were 10 years ago, almost actually 11 years ago when I came into the legislature to now, we are light years ahead. Mm. Uh, and we're only going to get better. Okay, Russ, thanks for giving us a call and being a part of Court Radio. Have a great Saturday. Thanks. So tell me about this uh, Black Jewish Coalition. Nobody called me about it. Ooh. <laughs> I'm a little offended. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Funny. We've been having a coalition forever. For years. Yeah. I know, right? We, you know, we, we started this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who puts this thing together? So, so, so Representative Jared Solomon, who represents parts of Northeast Philadelphia, is a very good friend of mine. 
And um, interestingly enough, when things happen in the, the Jewish community, the black community, like he'll call me about stuff, I'll call him about stuff. And one of the things that we said is that we need to do more together to renew the relationship that blacks and Jews have had throughout history. I mean, you know, going back to the founding of the NAACP, black folk were working with Jewish folks on that. You know, you go to the civil rights movement, black folks were working with Jewish folks on that. And and vice versa. And black folks have stood up for, for the Jewish community in many ways. Um, and it seems like we've kind of lost our way. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've always been a person to believe that the more you grow your coalition— uh, of of advocates and allies, the 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 better your chances are to get your issues addressed. Mm. So in a serious, so Jared Solomon and I started this Black Jewish Coalition um, a Caucus in Harrisburg, but you know we're doing it in a serious way to have uncomfortable conversations because there's some uncomfortable conversations that have to happen between the Black community and Jewish community for us to actually be able to move forward with being allies with each other, and then find the things that we have common ground on that we can work together on. You know, and I told him this. You know, it's okay to call me and say we want you to stand with us when somebody makes an anti-Semitic comment. I'm 100% okay with doing that. But when all of these black bodies are dropping in the city of Philadelphia, I need my Jewish brothers and sisters to stand with me and say that there needs to be a solution to this. And 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 that's how coalitions are built. That's how friendships are, are forged. Mm. And that's how you grow your allyship to now be able to have a stronger coalition to address things. So that's what we're looking at doing uh, in Harrisburg uh, with this Black uh, Jewish Coalition. And, um, you know, is there, I'm excited. Is there, is there a meeting coming up or something that <laughs> I might want to call? <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. So it's, yes. Please put him on the list. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I get it. I get yeah, it. But brother it right Weissman want to be a part uh, yes. of, 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 he's he feeling wants to be some yes. sort of yeah. way. Yeah. I, I, I got it. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, seriously, I've the work that we've gotten done in Harrisburg in a short period of time that I've been there has seriously been about, you know, finding people and finding common ground, finding issues that you agree on and and, and working together on those things. So I'm that that is who I am. And mm-hmm. it'll be it'll continue to be who I am so that I can advocate for my community the best. Amen. There you go. Dan, you, now, you're going to get the special I'm, number in the I'm, code. I'm going to segue now. <laughs> I'm going to segue that. There are there is a black issue that this Jew has gotten behind. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about this. And this th- this really is where corporations have taken advantage of and ignored the plight of the black community in hair relaxers. Black okay? woman. Yes. yes, black women from a, a young age of eight and nine years old were were pushed into or made f- to feel mm-hmm. like they had to have or they'd be less than yes, yeah straight hair while the corporations knew or should have known that the chemicals used in that process were causing them to have cancer uterine and endometrial cancer at a rate greater than anybody else in the country and in fact if you go to hysterectomy clinics what you'll see and what i've been told is that there are a disproportionate amount of black faces that are sitting there waiting to get a hysterectomy Mm -hmm. Um, that has come to an end we have exposed the corporations for what they're doing and people have joined our ranks astronomically in the last four months since we began but folks if you know someone who has had cancer or has had hysterectomies and they've used this product we are representing you and we need you to call us 215-227-2000 
888-627-2727. We're going to talk about it first thing tomorrow morning again at 7 a.m. with Dean live. With me live yeah. on Manuel's I'll, show. I'll believe it when I see it. It's going to happen. You got to get there at 7. I'm Love <laughs> you. I'm going to take him to breakfast right now. So, folks, we'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Have a great week.